Parshas Korach. Uh, so this is the parsha where we learn about how to fight and how not to fight. So wherever you end up hearing this, in uh, podcast land or somewhere in cyberspace, um, we're going to try to proliferate peace this week. So what's the basic story? The basic story is that um, Moshe and Aaron's first cousin, whose name is um, uh, Korach, but he was a rich man. He was a scholar, a very great man, and he was uh, the, a little jealous. He uh, staged a serious rebellion against Moshe, the first, first and really only rebe- full-fledged rebellion against Moshe, challenging that he was uh, that there was nepotism involved, that he was uh, looking out for himself and his brother and his other cousin. And he staged a full-fledged rebellion, trying to upstage Moshe and and Aaron. And ultimately, uh, Hashem showed he needed to show. The commentaries say that Moshe is beyond reproach. He is an absolute prophet. He is everything he says is directly from God. And God staged a an incredible, credible uh, upstage of the upstage. And uh, the the ground literally opens up, vacuums all the people who were involved and their possessions, and it's just absolutely miraculous show of of prowess. And uh, that's the basic story. So there's a lot of details here, and what I'd like to do tonight is focus on some of these details, and we can learn how to avoid. Um, Fights. It's, it's it's actually a little scary because, as we know, you know, uh, certainly around the world, the Jewish people there's a lot of a uh, lot of um, you know a lot of contention going on. So uh, you know, actually, fascinatingly, if you check out, there was actually in, in Jerusalem this week, uh, there was a huge, huge middle of a parking lot. Thank God, no one was hurt. A huge, a little big parking lot, a huge opening in the ground opened up. And a bunch of cars went in the, and fell all in this huge thing. So it, it's scary. Maybe you know, maybe you know, everyone's talking. And they, it's God sending a message. We got to get along. So, what's the claim now? If you look to any any imposters who ever stage a rebellion, they're usually pretty smart guys. They're not just shooting from the hip. They got a plan. So as we'll see tonight, Korach had a brilliant plan. And what did he do? Look, at, you have to look at the words that he said. What did he say? He said, Every, kulam, ha'am kulam kedoshim. Moshe, you think you're the only one, you and your brother? Everyone's holy. He says, why are you making yourself in charge of everyone? Everyone's holy. So he, Rashi points out that this was the first thing you could watch where you could a smart person could have figured out that Korach was full of baloney. Because Rashi says that really what was bothering Korach, he made it sound like I'm for the people. I want, you know, communism, socialism, everyone's the same. And, and that's very attractive to people. Your average person wants to hear we're all the same. 
But that's the way he gets followers, but that wasn't his agenda. What was his agenda? Rashi brings down the Medish Tanchuma that, as we said before, Korach was jealous. Why was he jealous? Because his younger cousin came the prince of the tribe. And that was really what needled him. He kind of understood, really, that Moshe was greater, maybe, and Aaron was greater. But when his kid cousin gets the, the, the nod, that's what really bothered him. And, of course, it looks kind of petty if he goes and starts telling everyone that, oh, I really should have gotten it. Instead, what does he do? He gives a straw man. And the straw man says, well, it's, it's really, I care about everybody. So when you hear someone make uh, big, big, broad statements, that means they're trying to appeal to the crowd. And you got to try to see through it and see, is there some sort of agenda here? And that is, anytime you see someone instigating a dispute, you got to look around and see, maybe this thing on the surface looks like it's a good cause. You have that today. A lot of times people on the surface have good, seems like it's a good cause. But when you dig deep, sometimes you don't even have to dig too deep. You find that there is an agenda there. And we certainly know there's a lot, many social movements that way today. Many quote-unquote religious movements like that today. That's the first thing, buyer beware, beware of agendas. Especially when the platform sounds so appealing to, uh, to everybody. Um, okay, one second. Okay, so then it says, we, the, at the end of the whole story, it says, Do not be like Korach and his people. So there's actually a mitzvah um, in the Torah. There's a mitzvah in the Torah. Uh, to not get in fights. It's actually a mitzvah, not to fight. Besides all the other Lashnahara and all these other things, this piece part says, don't be like Korach. So, the, um, ha- I mean, there's one exception. There's one time when you're allowed to get in a fight, a quote-unquote fight. The exception is if it's for the sake of heaven. It says in Ethics of the Fathers, if something is for the sake of heaven, then that's okay. So Bjornas and Ibshitz, he asked the question. He says, Yer is dvash. So he asks, how are you supposed to know? How are you supposed to know? In general, we're saying fights are horrible. Fights are horrible, despicable. How am I supposed to know if it's for the sake of heaven? So if you don't gives a very good, a very helpful litmus test to ask yourself either about an argument you're involved in or when you see one you're considering being party to. And he says that, one second, he brings down the famous Kamarin Kedushin that when two people are arguing in the gates, says if two people are arguing in Torah learning, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. When they finish fighting in the Torah, they, they're they best friends. Everyone knows the best friends, the friends you make, you can make well, through through Torah study. There's no, no, 
nothing like those kind of friends. But the thing is like this. It's very, it has to be that besides the point that you're arguing about, you love each other. So if you see that you don't like this other person because of the thing that you're fighting with them about, then that means that it's not 100% for the sake of heaven. Because if it really was for the sake of heaven, why would you not like them? You have a disagreement, right? Let's say I think a certain food is kosher and you disagree with me and you say a thousand percent naftali cart, that is not kosher. So we can have a very strong disagreement about if it's kosher or not, but it should not affect our friendship. So that says Rabbi Einstein Eibschitz is the... Um, is the is the litmus test to ask yourself is can, am i am i is there anything else besides the issue uh, and that's his uh, his suggestion then there's a famous mishnah in Pirkeiavos which says that you should stay away from a bad neighbor right it says be away from a bad neighbor and don't don't be joined to a wicked person. And many of the commentators say that that actually is, that Mishnah is a lesson that comes out from our Parsha. Because what happened here? You had the tribe of Korach. And then you had the tribe of Ruvain. And there were a bunch of, it was interesting, if you look at the hodgepodge of the people involved in the argument. Well, the hodgepodge of the people in the argument, the only thing that sticks out that makes them come together is geography. They were positioned in their encampments right near each other. And it's and the commentators say that oil Russia, oil You when you're near someone, you can't help but being influenced by them. And we see so much so here that that the the few the people who were encamped near the instigators got swept along with it and ultimately uh, had their demise as well. So, as much as possible, and a lot is in is possible, we have to be in control and pay attention who we're friends with and who we hang out with, and and you know sometimes a person is stuck in a situation and sometimes if it's so bad a person really may need to may need to move. Um, but it, 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 there's nothing, there's, it's a real thing. Judaism does not say, oh, you know, I'll be strong. I'm, I'm, it's weak to, to, to say that you'll be influenced by other people. No, that is not, I've heard this from many people. That's not what Judaism says. So much of Judaism is predicated on the realities of human frailty, of our weaknesses, and we're not supposed to exploit them. Yes. If you're put in a situation, you got to do your best. But we're not supposed to, lowly de nisayom, we're not supposed to put ourselves into tests. And certainly if a person hangs around friends and certainly geographically with people who are up to no good, uh, that's going to influence them. So it's interesting, in, in the towards the end of Perkeavos, it says that it gives an example of a fight that was not for the sake of heaven. And it says, any fight that's not for the sake of heaven will not be successful. What's the example? 
The example it says is Korach and his followers. So I think maybe I don't know who I saw ask this question. Maybe Rabbi Schwab asked this question. I think mean, a lot of people ask this question. That what kind of fight is that? When you're listing a fight, you should say who the two sides are. It should have said Korach was fighting Moshe. Doesn't say that. It says the fight of Korach with and his followers. So everyone asked this question. And so one answer I saw, that this was the only fight in world history that was completely one-sided. If I say there's a fight between Korach and Moshe, that sounds like Moshe was a part of the fight. If you look in the verses, Moshe not once stoops to Korach's level and 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 starts and starts you know being engaged in the fight. He he never engaged in the fight, and, mm-hmm. and that is unique. Always, 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 we're in a fight. There's a famous term. It takes two to tango. Now, sometimes when you're tangoing, it could be 60-40, sometimes 50-50, sometimes 70-30, maybe even sometimes 90-10. But says Chazal, the only time there was a fight that was 100% one side was right and and zero the other side was Korach and Moshe. Moshe was 100% right, Korach was 100% wrong. Since then... We always know if we're in a fight, there's got to be something that I did wrong here. And they, they actually have heard this a common uh, peacemaking tr- hack, as they say, is if you're in a fight with someone and you're stuck and you know that, say, you know that the other person is main, they're the one being really wrong here. But they're, if they're the one being wrong, they're unlikely to turn it around. So a suggestion that's given is if you could think of the one piece of it that you did wrong and you can fix that, a lot of times the whole thing will turn around. So that's the lesson we learned. We're supposed to learn from this story is that it, except for the story of Korach, it always is one-sided. Now, Rabbi Schwab turns out another, he explains another reason why the Mishnah Perkyavos doesn't say it's the fight of Korach and Moshe. He says... It's because when you have a debate, a debate, a debate, a discussion means I listen to you, you listen to me. Korach did not listen to Moshe for a second. So it would not be true to say that Korach, it was a fight of Korach and Moshe. It was basically a monologue of Korach. And if you look in the verses, it's actually incredible. Korach, Moshe basically says nothing. You could have taken Moshe out of the room. All Moshe keeps doing, the verse says, he keeps putting his going, he keeps going, oi. He keeps putting his head, he says, Moshe keeps falling on his face, but he doesn't say anything. Right? And this is, and that's another huge, huge recommendation. If someone is, is fighting and they're raging at you, so don't engage. Don't engage back. It's very hard. But but Moshe did it. Now how is it possible? Someone says something that I think is dead wrong, and I think I could slug them up. How can I how can I not fight with them if they're dead wrong? 
or I or I just totally don't see things the way they do. So as of Shlomo Eger, Rabbi Kiva Eger's brother, he quotes the famous Gemara and Brachas. The Talmud says, "Kishem shepartsufehen enon shavim." Just like there's no human being on the planet who has the same exact face as someone else, kach deoseam enon shavos. No one sees things exactly the same. There's no such thing. I we're never going to look. Even if he went to the same yeshiva, we're the same family, we're from the same town, went to the same school. No one looks at things the same. And just like I'm not insulted if you don't have the same beauty mark as I do, I'm not. I should not take it personally if you look at things differently than I do. Not easy, but that is what Shlomo Eger says based on the Gemara in Brachas. Now the Ramban asks a really tough question over here. Ramban asks, Nachmanis asks, he says, there's something wrong with the timeline here. The story of Korach takes place shortly after last week's Parsha. Last week's Parsha was the whole uh, um, uh, horrible story with the spies going into Israel, coming back with a bad report, and then they get decreed to stay in the desert for many years. So that's where we are in 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 the, in the uh, timeline. But the thing that Korach is jealous about happened a long time before. In other words, Moshe, Aaron, and his cousin all got inaugurated way back, like around when they got the Mishkan, the tabernacle. That was a long time before. That was about a year before. Why is Korach all of a sudden now waking up? So the Ramban says an incredible thing. He says Korach was brilliant. And this is something, unfortunately, Hitler and many other rabble-risers know well. Everyone knows you do not try to impeach a president who has a 100% popularity rate. It doesn't work. No one wants to hear about it. What, what do politicians do? Politicians find a time when people are not doing well, when there's unrest, right? That's why a lot of people say during COVID, there was so many political and social problems because people, people were weak. So it was a good time to exploit people's uh, vulnerabilities. So Karak said, you know what? If I would, if he, he was planning this. He was waiting for the Jews to be on the ground. When, when they inaugurated the temple, the Jews loved Moshe. Moshe had a one, almost 100% popularity rate because the Jews were supposed to be killed. Moshe lobbies to God for them, and they, they get the tabernacle. If Korach would have gotten up then and said, hey, Moshe and Aaron, they're out for themselves, no one would have listened. But now the Jews just got stuck in the desert for 40 years. They got, it was just, they, they, things are not going well. Korach said, now's the time. And this line we know as Jews, unfortunately, way too well. That's when our, our enemies, uh, you know, raise their ugly heads. When they see uh, people are, uh, things aren't going well in, in society, so blame the Jews. It's hard to blame the Jews when things are going well, because where are you going to blame them? Things are going well. When things aren't going well, that's when, unfortunately, 
Um, and that's something that uh, Rabbi Friend said in one of his drushes. He calls us the Generation V. What's Generation V? Generation Victim. And that uh, he says based that that, uh, that we always the we're hardwired society kind of trains us today to blame anything and everything for a problem, and we have to be very well aware of that because that, you know it's it's actually uh, it's it's actually um, I mean I'm not saying that I think anyone is free from it, but you see it particularly with younger people. It's very very difficult to not blame anything and everything except for ourselves. And that's what happened over here, that um, Korah, the, 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 the Jewish people, were looking for someone to blame. And they just jumped on Korah's thing, and they blamed Moshe. Now, there's an interesting thing over here. So Moshe has this whole rebellion. And what happens? There's an interesting line out of nowhere. It says, Moshe says, I've never stolen a penny from these people. Not only that, I have never even accepted a favor. He says, I'm not, I am not in this for myself. Sometimes you think, you know, people, politicians, leaders, they have an agenda. Moshe says, look, I'm the head. I could have easily exploited. I could have easily stolen. I've never taken a penny. I've never even taken a favor. So why is he mentioning this now? So now Rabbi Wine, Rabbi Wine famously says that one of the most unfortunate things that happened to the Jewish people in the past 500 years is the advent of the rabbinate. What does that mean? Until about 500 years ago, rabbis were just regular businessmen who happened to be very knowledgeable. There was no such thing as a paid rabbi. You didn't hire a rabbi. That's why you see in the Talmud, the great rabbis in the Talmud were wine merchants and tailors and whatever it was. You were a rabbi if you happened to be a, a very, high, uh, very highly educated, highly developed person. About 500 years ago, that changed around the time of the Ramar, Moshe Israelis, and that was the beginning of that because once a rabbi's hired, then he's, he has to think twice before he says something. And that, Rabbi Wine has a whole uh, lecture on how, how, how hard, not, not good it is when a rabbi can't speak his mind and he's not saying something because of, he's nervous about going to lose his job. So that's the reality today. The reality is today that rabbis do need to take money. They do need to take those favors. But putting that aside, there's a famous idea that a person loves something or someone who they give to. People, and the, but the thing that's even more intriguing is the opposite. People tend to resent people they take from. It's a little funny. You would think, wow, you gave me something, I would have appreciation. It's a famous idea from Abdesler that why why is that why is it that if you give me a hundred dollars i'm actually a little bit resentful towards you and the reason is because i it's subconscious i feel beholden to you and i don't like feeling beholden to you 
I'm resentful to that. I want to feel like I'm self-sufficient. So what do I do? I can't deal with that feeling. So what do I do? I just, I'm not nice to you. So Rebruderman Zechron of Racha Rashiva from Yisrael, he used to quote the Chassam Sofer, a famous rabbi from the uh, 1800s. He says that he had a quote. Chassam Sofer used to say, I don't know why so-and-so hates me. I never did him a favor. That's what he used to say. And the Rudman used to, used to tell his students all the time that you should know when you do someone a favor, don't expect any remuneration. Not only that, you got to hope that they're not going to really mistreat you. The question is how bad it's going to be. And that's what Moshe was telling them. Moshe said, look, I have nothing against the Jewish people. I haven't received anything from them to be upset at them. So what do we learn from this? There's three big lessons we learn from this phenomenon. One is we have to be uh, be aware so we don't become frustrated. When we give to people, often we, we assume, oh, they're going to be grateful. But uh, the human nature often is the people that we should be most grateful to, we are most resentful towards sometimes. And that's something we have to be aware and kind of expect. We have to also know it about ourselves. Let's say we find ourselves being resentful towards someone and we're trying to figure out, you know, you know, someone else did the same thing to me and it didn't bother me. Well, the answer might be that it's actually someone who gives to you a lot and you, you don't want to feel beholden. So you, have, you make so people do this with their family members, with their partners, with 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 the, with a rebbe, a teacher, uh, an employer. You 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 you'll find problems with these people, the people who give you the most. So you know it's something to be be aware of. And 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 this is something I've been dealing with with uh, with recently. That the biggest I would say a very big lesson is that if I'm giving to you. My goal should be that when I give to you, I try to do it in as respectful a way as possible so you don't feel like you're taking from me. Because it doesn't feel good to take. People don't like to feel like they're takers. So, yes, we have to give, but we have to try to give as much as possible in a way that the person doesn't feel like they're taking. That's why very great people... They, 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 they find a way to give to people in a way that the person doesn't even feel like they took anything. They make you feel like you're doing them a favor by taking it or some other creative way. I mean, that's a really big chesed. It's a really big chesed that when you give someone something to try to find a way to make the person not feel beholden to you. And especially people who are big givers. It's hard, you know, uh, that's a hard thing to do because you want the people to appreciate it, but it's really, really important to help them uh, not feel that way. One last idea from the Chavetz Chaim. So in the, in the, in the Sefer Shemir Salashon, he discusses at length the evils of Machlokas. And he points out that the, 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 crux, the, the, the crux of the matter the exact point that's the issue in Machlokas is, is the need, the koach hanitzachon, that I want to be right. I want to be victorious. And that's really all it is sometimes, because sometimes you won't even get anything out of it. 
one of the issues already was solved. But Nitzachon, we have, it's part of our inner drive. We want to be right. We want to be, we want to win. So there's a famous question. Would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? It's a famous Sean Bias quip, right? So um, we know logically, you know, you don't get anything if you win, especially if the other person is not happy. So the Chavetz Chaim brings out this point and he says, this is a scary thing sometimes, especially for parents, especially for teachers or anyone who is in any position of influence. We all know, I know, I, I'm a, I have a community leadership position. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a brother, I'm a son. I, I, have, a lot, I have a lot of uh, positions. I know that the thing that looks worst for me if I'm trying to impress the community, let's just say, if I'm trying to make a good impression on my family, on my constituents, the worst thing to do, I know, is to be come across as argumentative. No one respects someone who's argumentative. But, and we also know how damaging it is when machlokas happens. But yet, and I would never go over to someone and punch them in the face but we all know if someone experiences my being argumentative, that it hurts them. So the Chavetz Chaim used to go over to people and he would say, you know, why did you hurt Chaim Yankel? He's like, I never hurt Chaim Yankel in my life. He's like, well, I saw you fighting with your brother near Chaim Yankel. Anyone who's near fighting gets hurt. So the one time there's a story, I'll close with this and we'll wrap up. The Chavetz Chaim saw two Baal who got into a huge, huge argument. Big argument. But who knows? Pi Star was something small, and then they stopped talking to each other or whatever. And it got really ugly, and it got so bad that unfortunately, children passed away. The Chavetz Chaim goes over to one of the parties, and he says, you know, you know, uh, you got to stop. God's sending you a message here. This is a horrible, horrible fight. You guys don't talk. You guys don't this. God made one of your children die. And one of the person, this person turned to the Chavetz Chaim, and he said, Rebbe, I'll bury all my kids, but I'm going to win. And as a Famous ball player said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. That's not Judaism. Judaism says winning is, if you win, you win. But arguments, and I'm thinking to myself, is just, it's just, it's just the, uh, it's, 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 it's the worst. And um, that's what we have to learn from this week's Parsha and all these lessons we learned the lesson to watch out for agendas. We learned from Yonas and Eibschitz that um, you pay attention to see if it's if you're able to interact with the other people outside of the issue. We saw from Perkyobos that staying away from people is, is it's your fault. You gotta stay away from, from bad neighbors and, and bad friends. We said how almost always disputes are not one-sided. We heard from Shimon Schwab, they got to listen to the other side. 
Shlomeager said to us, really, there's no reason to be upset at someone just because they disagree with you. We heard from the Ramban to be careful for the Generation V. You gotta be careful for being the victim and careful for watching out for when people are low and that's, a, that's an opportune time for arguing. We, we learned from Rebruderman that, um, learned from Rebruderman that you have to realize when you, when, when you, uh, when someone gives you something, you feel resentful towards that. And you got to be aware because when you give to someone, don't expect them to, uh, to be so nice back. Also realize that if you're not being nice, maybe that's why. And lastly, when you give to people, try as much as you can to maintain their dignity so they don't feel beholden. The last thing we said was just to, just the overall idea how how bad and how detrimental um, you, uh, arguing is. You know, uh, it's 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 just uh, just really really from the worst things on the planet. And uh, anything good that you have, any talents that you have, it pretty much they all don't really mean very much. We all know this. People don't. You know, you can have a great. You can be in Disney World. But if you're fighting a Disney World, then what's Disney World? So that's uh, some of the lessons of Parshas Karach. Have a great, peaceful week. Hopefully all the, the uh, disagreements that are going on in the Jewish people now should, should go away. A good Shabbos.